0: I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech Show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Check out the website at wit.fm. In cloud computing, one way to develop and deploy applications is by using containers. Castle and Fields, cloud advocate at Oracle, explained what containers are and how they are similar to chocolate chip cookies. We talked about the advantages of containers and how they compare to using virtual machines. At the end, we also talked about software quality and the role of a quality assurance engineer, as well as comics about technology that Kaslin is working on. I'm here at KubeCon in Barcelona with Kaslin Fields, cloud advocate at Oracle. Kaslin, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank
0: you. And today we're going to talk about various topics like containers, cloud technologies, and also quality assurance. I want to begin first with containers, since you gave a talk here at KubeCon about containers, and they have become a very popular way to build and deploy applications. And in your talk, you were comparing containers to cookies. So it's sort of like an intro to containers. Can you explain this analogy?
1: Yeah, so the way I came up with this is wherever I've worked over the last several years, I've been the container person, which means that everyone wants to ask me questions about containers. And the most common ones, of course, are what are containers and how do they relate to VMs? A lot of the times the people asking me these questions would be field sales, people who work directly with customers. So when you're going to talk to a customer and they've been talking about containers and you don't really know what that is, You don't have a lot of space in your head (laughs) to keep all the details of containers in mind while you're talking to this customer. So I would explain it, but it would be really hard for them to remember in the moment how to talk about it. So they would end up calling me in and I would have to try to have this really technical conversation with the customer. So I came up with this analogy to make things easier to remember and easier to understand for everyone, for the customer, for the salesperson, and for engineers who work on containers every day. I think it can really help facilitate conversations. So that's where it came from. And the analogy is, so imagine you have a bowl. And in that bowl, you have different sized cookies. The bowl itself is like your infrastructure. Whether you're running containers or VMs, you're running them on some physical host. And that physical machine has a certain amount of memory, a certain amount of CPU. It has a limited capacity to run containers or VMs. You can run containers, you can run VMs, you can run both, but you can only run so many. So it's like the bowl, which has a limited capacity to hold cookies. And the cookies, the larger cookies are like VMs, and the little cookies are like containers. They're both like cookies, I'll get to that in a second, but let me explain why the sizes are different. So the bigger cookies are like VMs because a virtual machine is pretending to be a machine And because it's pretending to be a machine, it needs its own operating system. And operating systems are big things that take up a lot of resources. So they end up taking more space in your bowl. So that's why they're like bigger cookies. But containers, we're looking for a way to isolate applications without having to emulate a whole machine. So they don't have a guest operating system. They make use of the Linux kernel on the existing machine. So they don't take up as much space. So they're like little cookies. And then you can take that analogy a little bit further to explain why they're both cookies. The goal, whether you're running a virtual machine or a container, is usually to run some application. Unfortunately, you can't just run that application by itself. It has to have other binaries and libraries, dependencies that it needs to be able to run. So if you're thinking about that in cookie terms, The main application that you want is like the chocolate chips. Everybody knows the chocolate chips are the best part of the cookie. It's not up for debate. Also, raisins do not belong in my cookies. You might like them, but they're not my thing. (laughs) So the chocolate chips are like the, the application you really want. And then the flour, the butter, the sugar, all the things that make up the cookie are like those dependencies. So you could put those chocolate chips and the flour and the butter and the sugar all in the bowl and just... Leave it there and not bake it into cookies. But then imagine what's going to happen when you try to move that into a different bowl. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. Yeah, You're not going to have a good time. I, I always imagine like a hand going into the bowl full of cookie dough and it comes out all messy. With yeah, cookie dough exactly. Stuck to it. <laughs> That's kind of what that's like. It's not pleasant. You end up leaving some in the old bowl. Your new environment's never quite the same. So you want to package it up. And that's why we bake it up into cookies. But like I said, the virtual machines, they take up more space. And the containers, they take up less. Another thing about cookies is smaller cookies are going to bake faster. And that's true with containers, too. Containers spin up much faster. The time frame on container spin up is like seconds, sometimes even milliseconds. And virtual machines at least take several minutes. So it's a considerable difference if you're spinning up a whole lot of them. So those are some of the ways that containers are like cookies. And then I also often give an example of a system administrator. So as a system administrator, your role is to take care of the hardware systems that you're using to run all of the applications that your development teams need. So basically your development teams are chocoholics. They need applications, but they don't really care how they get them. (laughs) So you as the system administrator, you've got to get them their chocolate, but you can pick any form you want to get it to them. So you should probably use cookies. Because you're dealing with the hardware and what it's actually running on. So you don't want to have a bowl full of just cookie dough. (laughs) You're going to have hardware failures, hardware upgrades eventually. So you're going to have to move them around. So you're going to want cookies. But do you want VMs or do you want containers? And a lot of businesses these days are picking containers because they're smaller, they spin up faster. So as the system administrator, you might want containers because hopefully using containers, you can solve all of your development team's needs, provide them all the applications they need without having to put in a request to buy more bowls, more hardware to put the applications on. So that's the whole analogy right there.
0: (laughs) That's a really great analogy. I liked it a lot. (laughs) sometimes well a lot of the times it takes a lot to simplify a concept a lot of time is put to it i assume yeah like you said, you were talking to all these people, and you came up with this. Yeah, and it's not an easy thing. Yeah, it might sound easy, like oh well, yeah, cookies. And yeah. you talk to
1: people who work with containers all the time, they're just like, oh, it's just containers, duh. And all of the other people they're talking to are thinking like the container store, like the stuff, like boxes. <laughs> what it
0: took, are you yeah, exactly. About? <laughs> it, it took me a long time to understand Kubernetes containers. I feel like I even still don't understand some parts, but yeah, it's it was not you know that straightforward. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your work prior to working at Oracle, because I saw you, you were at NetApp and you work on Docker and container technology to be used to measure storage performance. And I think storage is an important component in this whole ecosystem. Can you give some context on the
1: project? Sure. So that might be a little surprising to people that I worked on containers at NetApp. Whenever I would go to conferences with NetApp like DockerCon and KubeCon, people would always be so surprised that we were there. <laughs> it's like, what is this storage company doing here at this container conference? Yeah. It doesn't make much sense. But actually there's A group within NetApp that was really excited about containers. Shout out to Jonathan Rippey, who was my mentor at NetApp and taught me all about containers and is the reason why I'm here now. (laughs) He's a really fantastic teacher and he was so passionate about containers. So no one like was excited about it as he was. But since he was so interested in containers, he just went ahead and he created a Docker volume plugin, which is a way for you to run Docker containers and hook up storage, external storage, really easily to those containers. And storage is always a challenge with containers because containers are about the application, like I just explained, right? So what about the storage that those applications need to be able to run or that they need to write to? That's always a challenge and it's not expressed in the cookie analogy. It's a pretty complex thing. I'll probably have to come up with another analogy about that later. Yeah. But anyway, so. My mentor, Rippy, came up with this Docker volume plugin, and our customers were really excited about it. All our customers were starting to talk about containers, they wanted to use them, and we did this thing that made it so much easier. So eventually, there came this whole team that was working on container things, and I started working on container things because I just thought it was really fun, even though that wasn't really my day job. (laughs) And then I found a team within NetApp that was a technical marketing engineer team, and I was a QA engineer at the time, but I really wanted to move more customer-facing. So I talked to this team. They were located out in Bellevue near Microsoft, near Azure. Also, where I work now at Oracle is in Seattle. So And Amazon is there, so like all the clouds are in the Seattle area. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'll move out to the Seattle area. I'll work with this team because they want to do some stuff with containers. So I did that. And while I was with this team, what they did is... They were working with all of these cloud vendors since they were in the Seattle area. And we're focused on storage, of course, and we had this cool stuff going on with Amazon. Now NetApp also has a lot of really cool stuff going on with Azure. And they wanted to show what it was like using containers with storage in the cloud, which is all pretty new concept, pretty hard to understand. Nobody really knew what to expect with it. So we did some testing. Since I came from a testing background and I was excited about containers, this was perfect.
0: (laughs) I see. And we'll get into the QA aspects later on. What I want to get an idea here is if you can talk a little bit about the state of storage with containers. Before we, we started this recording, you were talking about stateful storage with containers. Can you
1: explain what that is or what you've been learning here at KubeCon? Absolutely. So a really common thing if you talk to container people is the expectation for apps running in containers is that they're stateless. Basically the container spins up, the application does something, and then it dies. And that means that all the storage that it had goes with it when it dies. So stateful means it doesn't really need to keep anything around to persist anything, to have any state so stateful applications like most applications were before we came up with this whole microservices stateless uh, concept are applications where they need to keep storage somewhere they need to persist state they are stateful so like what i was doing with that project is we were showing what kinds of performance you could get by hooking up different types of storage to your containers in the cloud well I chose containers to do it because that was a really easy way to run all of our tests in different areas in the cloud and on different things. Could spin it up repeatedly every time. It's a great thing about containers. So this is a huge topic, especially with more and more enterprises adopting containers. They have a ton of legacy applications that were designed to need state. They need storage. But now they want to run them in containers because right now they're running them in VMs. They take up so much extra space with that operating system. They'd like to run them in a more efficient way. But how do they solve those storage needs? So complexity has always been a huge part of storage. It's just a really challenging problem, which is why companies like NetApp do so well. (laughs) But... Doing it with containers, it's a whole new paradigm, a whole new way to think. So it's been really challenging for people to understand what they need to do. So you'll see there were a lot of talks here at KubeCon that talk about the topic of stateful applications in Kubernetes and using containers, and how do you do that? There are a variety of tools out there which I could go into, but we don't need to. You can look them up. Persistent. If you look up persistent storage in containers, you'll find all sorts of resources. Mm-hmm. By the way, you can run databases in containers in Kubernetes. You can? You can. Okay. People ask that all the time. Cause they're like, can I really do this? You can. You might not want to. <laughs> there are cases where you would. There are cases where you wouldn't, but it is possible. I work at Oracle now, and there's even a Docker image for Oracle Rack, which oh. is insane if you know what that is. Wow. <laughs>
0: And what would be uh, one reason why you would
1: definitely not want to do that? So let me explain reasons why you would first and then I'll kind of do that. So a reason why you would want to run a containerized database is if you want to run tests. So a lot of the time with tests, you want to run on large data set that's like based on your real data set or something like that. In that case, you might want to run a normal database that's not in a container. If it's really big, you're gonna have to have that storage sitting there all the time. The nice thing about containers is you can put that storage anywhere, but then you spin up the actual database application anytime, wherever, repeatedly, and just hook it up to that storage somewhere else. So the nice thing about containerizing databases is that you can spin up a whole test environment that includes the database, any type of database you want really easily. It makes it, it separates the database application from the storage itself and makes the pieces like kind of switch (laughs) outable.
0: I see. Yeah. And I want to talk now a little bit about your role. One of the things that I saw that you do is help guide customers on their cloud journeys. How can customers start to think or begin onboarding their applications and systems to the cloud? I know this is super broad, but just um, where can they typically get started?
1: Yeah, sure. So I always feel so silly talking about like, customers in their cloud native journeys yeah It sounds so cheesy, yeah, but it's what does really that mean? true. Yeah.
0: What does the journey mean? Yeah,
1: so like I said, a lot of these enterprises, they have these legacy applications that were designed imagining that they have their own machine or sometimes virtual machine if they're more recent. But they have certain ex- expectations of their environment that aren't necessarily true in containers, especially with regards to storage. <laughs> so it's a huge shift for them trying to understand what they need to do in a containerized way world and with the advent of open source all the companies want to be using open source it's free I'm doing air quotes free for them to use they do often need to contribute to it if they really want it to do what they want it to do Mm -hmm. and companies that are using open source I talked about this uh, a couple days ago on the Newstack podcast as well they should absolutely have people who work on open source because they're trying to use it they need to make sure that it's good and going to be supported But anyway, so this is a huge shift in the way that companies think about things when everything was closed source. So they've got to think about open source. They've got to think about the new way that things are deployed with containers. They've got to think about the new way that things are run in the cloud. I talked to a brand new cloud customer once who was trying to understand how to use their new cloud account and what they would do with it. And they asked, well, I understand that I've got this cloud account and I can log into it, but, and I can get all these different types of servers but how am I going to image my servers and that's if you're familiar with the cloud that's not really how it works you go into the cloud interface online and you basically go through a little wizard that says well what do you want you want a machine that's this big it has this much memory and CPU and it has this operating system already on it exactly right so you don't have to do that anymore which is great and take some of the pain away from the companies, which is why cloud is so incredibly popular. But it's really hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. (laughs) So that's why we talk about cloud native being a journey. And that's some of the stuff that I help our customers with, is I don't think you're stupid for thinking that you need to image these servers. That's what you've been doing your whole life. It's what you've made your whole career on. And now things are shifting, and that's okay. We'll help you understand it will help you understand what you have now and how this can help make your life better. And that's what I come into customer conversations and and talk about.
0: (laughs) That's great. And from your experience, what have been some of the main reasons why they are starting to consider moving to the cloud? Because I know sometimes people are like, well, this this has been working for 10 years, 20 years. Like, why would we switch?
1: Yep, absolutely. (laughs) That comes up a lot. So an interesting thing about Oracle Cloud actually is we started our cloud like 10 years after Amazon created their cloud. So customers ask us all the time, why are you creating a cloud now? You're so late to the game. Are you really even a player? But the reason that we made this cloud is because Oracle has all these giant enterprise customers. And when they were going to these customers, their customers were saying, oh, we really want to use the cloud. It can make our lives so much easier, but it doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. It doesn't solve all of our needs as large enterprises. Amazon, when it first started, like they had a lot of really great tooling for startups and they're really well known for d- being great with startups. But at each different level of enterprises and, and businesses, you have different requirements in different verticals too.
0: And I think, if i'm not mistaken in the amazon story is they built it for themselves and they were like well maybe other people want to use this so i guess it started as very amazon specific whereas with oracle it sounds like they have the enterprise customers and now they're getting information from them like oh you need this and that and then build a solution based on that versus building it for
1: yourself exactly first. And that's a story that I learned when I came to Oracle. A lot of people knew the story of Amazon creating their cloud for themselves, and which was great. It solved their problems, and then they opened it up to the world, and the world saw something fantastic, and it's become such a huge thing. But we came at it from a different angle. The cloud already existed. People had an idea of what they wanted from it, and... We came in saying, okay, we can fix some of these things that people don't like about it. We can do things a little bit differently and maybe offer them something that they would like to have. And Amazon is not just good at startups. Like I mentioned that that's something that they're well known for being good at. They, they have enabled. other things. Yeah,
0: they enabled a lot of startups. Exactly. That's yeah. what they did.
1: <laughs> they also have a huge amount of enterprise customers and stuff too, because they're such a big cloud. But yeah, so we took a different approach. <laughs>
0: I want to switch gears for a little bit. I know we've mentioned a couple of times testing and how you have experience in quality assurance. And before we started the recording, you said, oh, I really like testing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, do. I'm excited to talk about it. Can you explain quality assurance and your experience in this area?
1: Sure. So when I first started out in tech, I went to Virginia Tech and I have a bachelor's in computer science, and I did a bunch of internships during that. My very first internship actually was at Microsoft as an explorer intern, which is a special program they have for freshmen and sophomores in college, and it focuses on diversity. It focuses on women and diverse people in tech and trying to get them into the industry. So you work on a team of three, and you at the time, you would do all three roles within engineering at Microsoft, which was program management development, and testing. And I really like the testing part of it. Since then, Microsoft has actually gotten rid of their testing role, which I am very disappointed by. <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> I've talked
0: to various people. I think what now happens is, yeah, the the developers do testing and some teams that really need, you know, that
1: quality mm-hmm. set of people, they do have it, depending on the product. A little different. So when I was there, the develop it was called like developer in test or something like that they were being very careful not to call it qa quality assurance had a certain meaning to a lot of people where you do like manual testing where you're not really a coder but you have to understand the technology really well qa is also an awesome role and they both involve testing so there was a little bit of like oh but i'm a developer yeah the branding (laughs) that people are constantly changing role names and yeah exactly but i really liked the testing part of that so i continued to pursue that in my other internships and then when i got a full-time job What I liked about it was I love thinking like a customer. So as a tester, I have this technology that I have to really understand, which is exciting. And then I have to understand how the customer is going to use it. Sort of monkey on a keyboard. Like, do we provide them enough information for them to really understand what this product is?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Is the UI easy enough for them to find what they need to do? Those are things that I would worry about. And then Functional testing as well. Does it do what we say it does? Does it do what the customer needs it to do? And as I was also from computer science background, some coding, I really like scripting actually because as opposed to other forms of programming, I love that in scripting you can really see something happen (laughs) It's automating something. So I would write automation to do functional testing for NetApp's storage products, especially one that transition their customers from their old system to their new system. And I think that testing is just so important within tech and it's so underappreciated because people talk about developers all the time and creating new things and stuff like that. And oftentimes the customer perspective kind of gets lost. The salespeople are over here and the developer people are over here and we don't really want them to talk to each other. I don't like that approach. (laughs) It has its benefits and there definitely needs to be some separation, but the more that you can get people talking the better you can create products. So I think that testing is really important and I love scripting, automating things, something that I love to talk about. And I really wanna actually create a comic series about how important testing is.
0: Which brings us to the last topic. (laughs) You make comics about technology. What are some topics you've explored or that you want to
1: explore? Love to talk about this. Yeah. So if you are interested in the visuals of my comic or my cookie analogy earlier, they're available on my website, which is K-A-S-L-I-N, my name, Kaslin, dot rocks, because I'm so humble. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. I might change it eventually to Containerized Adventures, but I would still keep Kaslin dot rocks, so bookmark that.
0: We'll include it in the show notes so people can find it. Yeah, just give us an overview of, you know, the things you explore.
1: So right now, I have three posts up. One of them I don't really count. (laughs) This is kind of my first foray into writing a blog slash comic. So it's kind of half blog, half comic. And then the second one, I tried to go more comic, which is the cookie one. So all the things that I said about cookies and containers earlier, you can see the art that I created and the whole story in comic form on my website. And then I recently, just on Monday, I think, released a new comic, which is also about containers. And it's about C groups and namespaces, which are the Linux kernel components that make containers possible. So it's a really low level look at containers that a lot of people don't get usually, but it's really important to understand So check that out. I use a doggy daycare analogy for that. And then my future ones that I have planned, I'm hoping to get to the point where I'm releasing one a month. Right now it's one every like few months. Yeah. But future ones I have planned, I'm going to do one about Kubernetes. So these have been about containers so far. But when you're running a whole lot of containers, you need to orchestrate them. So I'll give you a sneak preview that I haven't told anyone else about yet. Right. The Kubernetes analogy is going to be a cookie factory. Not because that's where you make cookies. That's what the developers do. But because a cookie factory is all about logistics. You've got to package up the cookies for different markets. You've got to send them out on trucks, on trains, on Containers. Real containers. More containers, yeah. Try not to get those convoluted. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's uh, role-based access controls for different parts of the factory. So I'm going to talk about all sorts of different pieces of Kubernetes in terms of logistics in a factory. And then after that, I'd like to do a series about cloud to help people understand what the cloud is and how you can start using it. That sounds great. And it's
0: definitely an area that we need a lot of resources to understand the general ideas before we we dive deeper, from my opinion. Mm -hmm. In terms of making the comic, what are some of the tools that you use? They're digital, right?
1: Yep, so I'm using digital art for this, which I find easier to just post up because I've got it on my computer already. So I actually have a really nice Surface Studio at home. If you all haven't seen that, look up a picture. It's really sweet. It's a Microsoft computer that has this giant screen, and you can push it down and have different angles to draw on. When I'm traveling like this, I also have a Surface Book, which is another Microsoft thing. Sorry, I really like PCs. (laughs) By the way, this is not a sponsored show. I work on Microsoft, but this pure coincidence. Just coincidence. Yeah. happens to be what I like. I actually had a a conversation about this in one of the sessions yesterday because it's so much easier to do containers with Linux (laughs) or with a Mac because... It has some, a lot of parallels with Linux and it's kind of based on that, Yeah, but drawing is so much easier on my PCs, so things can be a little difficult, but anyway, so I use my Surface Book and my Surface Studio because they have a really nice pen that I can use to draw, and then I use Clip Studio Paint which is a drawing tool that is available for purchase. They have a sale once a year, hot tip. If you are interested in that, (laughs) watch out for the sale. You can get it a lot cheaper than usual. And there are also free tools. I actually started out with Medibang, which is a free drawing tool. So I draw these out in these tools and then I export them to PNGs or JPEGs or whatever. And I put those up on my website. And a few people here have actually asked me about using my art assets as in their own presentations, which I would love for people to do. I want, to help people learn so I think I might at some point put the assets up on github so that you can just grab them and put them in your presentations let people know where you got them and teach people that's great
0: and in terms of drawing did you learn to draw because you wanted to make this comic or were you always you know drawing on the side
1: yeah so I did a lot of drawing when I was in middle school during recess if I didn't want to go out and play because <laughs> it's hot in Virginia sometimes <laughs> okay So I would just kind of sit on the side in the shade and and draw. So I developed some drawing skills. I only got to take one art class in high school because I also did a lot of other activities. Yeah. (laughs) But I had this recently in the last few years. I was talking with my partner in Seattle. He works at Microsoft as well, actually. (laughs) But he had this really cool idea for a comic about computing and about technology. And I was like, you know what? That's a really cool idea. Why aren't there more technology comics? And there are some great ones like Julia Evans and... And Ashley McNamara's art is always used in so many cool ways. And there's the Children's Illustrated Guide to Kubernetes. All great things. But I was like, man, I wish I could do that. But I feel like my art skills aren't good enough. So I was like, you know what? I'll just do it. So I started this blog and I'm trying to make these comics so that I can get better at art and work towards creating comics regularly.
0: That's a great approach. Yeah. Well, Kaslyn, thank you for coming on the show. It's been fun talking to you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.